Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. On the latest episode of The Big Show, we welcome writer, director, producer Charles Murray to the show. He's uniquely qualified both in television and feature films, and he'll discuss his latest project as well as sharing his wisdom of the inner workings of Hollywood. Plus, we'll preview the upcoming Emmy nominations and the season two premiere of Masters of Sex with entertainment contributor Jen Chaney, and we'll review Dawn of the Dead, uh, Planet of the Apes, excuse me, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, excuse me, uh, as well as have entertainment news and more on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Now let's start the show, show. Step out of the cold, cold. We come from the cold, cold. To the top of the cold, cold. The pits and the holes, holes. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 255 of The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon, and we got a big, big show coming up for you guys today. Um, I get a chance, uh, or or before I say I get a chance uh, to talk to a lot of my friends, I think that is one of the pluses that I've enjoyed over the last four and a half years, that I've had an opportunity to sit down with people who I share multiplex time with people who I see at film festivals, you know, folks who are industry professionals who really have a lot of entertaining perspectives and views that they get that, that I have an opportunity to kind of moderate as they do their thing on this show. And today is such a day. Coming up a little later on in the show, we will sit down and talk with a man who I spent a lot of time talking to off air, so it's finally time for us to have a conversation on air. He is a writer, director, 
television producer, um, Charles Murray. Um, his feature film, he made his feature film debut uh, last year with a film called Things Never Said that stars Shanola Hampton and Omari Hardwick. Uh, but his day job, believe it or not, is he's directed lots of television or written lots of television for shows like Castle. Um, i trying to think of what else that uh, Charles has worked on. But now he's working on The Sons of Anarchy. Uh, an FX show, which is now shooting its seventh and final season. He's going to stop by a little later on and uh, talk to us about that prospect, uh, process as well as what else he has going on. Uh, we're also going to sit down with another buddy of mine, Jen Cheney, who is an entertainment columnist who writes for, who was formerly with the Washington Post. Uh, and I think she still contributes to them, Vulture, uh, Slate, several other publications. Jen's all over the place covering television. She's going to sit down and help us preview the upcoming Emmy Award nominations um, as well as talk about the this, this season two premiere of Masters of Sex and the new HBO series, The Leftovers. So that ought to be entertaining because I really want to get her perspective on that. We'll also have entertainment news with Wilson Morales, and we're going to review the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and I keep messing the title of this film up. Um, this is the second film in the rebooted uh, uh, Planet of the Apes uh, series, and I'm going to sit down with a uh, contributor from RogerEbert.com, good friend of mine, Susan Wazina. So we will talk about that film, and we'll have Wilson Morales coming up momentarily. Uh, but before we begin today's show, I just want to, uh, let people know that had an, an opportunity to watch Halle Berry's uh, brand-new uh, sci-fi series, Extant, last night. Um, you know, <laughs> my, my initial impression, and maybe I need to watch some more episodes of this show, but my initial impression to Steven Spielberg is uh, executive producing this, looked to me like a mix of The Astronaut's Wife, the Charlize Theron film from probably about 15 years ago, mixed in with AI, which was a film that uh, Stanley Kubrick originally wrote, and before he died, he passed it on to Steven Spielberg to bring it to the big screen. It seems like a mix of those two stories, and on the surface, that might be correct. Let's hope that in the coming weeks, as this show continues to take shape, that, you know, maybe there are some other twists and some turns to the show, but at least that's my initial impression. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks, and I even may share time with Jen Cheney to find out if she's covering this one as well. But for now, we're going to go up to Gothic and spend some time with my good, good friend, Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com. Wilson, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be back. Hey man, it is good. It's always good to have you back, man. Um, we're in the we're in kind of the middle of the summer season right now, Wilson, and there's a lot of activities, uh, a lot of activity, I should say. Excuse me, with movies opening, you know, uh, movies about to open, trailers being launched all over the place. I, I was looking at what was going on at BlackFilm.com. Um, I mean, talk to the audience, man, about all these upcoming films because we're we're, we're actually. In summer right now, but I think what we're looking at are trailers for films that are going to be dropping in the fall and even some awards contenders. 
or potential award contenders? Yeah, I think what's happening is because of the fact that you're not having a great summer in terms of the box office, you know, by by evidence of last week, you know, you had the 4th of July, yet, you know, uh, you had Transformers as well as uh, uh, the Melissa McCarthy film not doing what was expected. You know, people are now looking to seeing people are looking to seeing what's coming out in the fall. Like, okay, let's let's wait for the fall for, for quality films to come up. And very recently, we just got the trailer to Gone Girl, which is David Fincher's new movie. that stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, and Tyler Perry star you know in the film in a supporting role. You know, which is interesting because you know Tyler Perry once said that he would only do a film for somebody else if it's a film that he couldn't direct himself. Um, right. So it'll be interesting to see him in this film. And then we also got the trailer to uh, Exodus, Ridley Scott's new film, Exodus, Gods and, Gods and Kings, featuring Christian Bale in a new version of Moses. So, you know, we're starting to see stuff shape up. You know, and, you know we, we have Comic-Con coming up next week, but I think people start to trickle out things that's happening late in the fall. Well, the biggest news I saw, I thought this week, man, and a lot of people aren't talking about it, but I'm really excited, was to see Don Cheadle start to release images, man, from uh, his upcoming film that he's been, he's been wanting to make this movie for about 10 years. Uh, the biopic of Miles Davis called Miles Ahead. Um, I, I was on your site, man, and, and, as well as looking around the web, and I looked at that initial image, and damn if Don Cheadle is not spot on to late Miles Davis, man. What was your impression of this film, and what have you heard? Have you heard something additional about what Cheadle is doing, getting this film to uh, audiences? Production, but he's in the midst of finishing up the Indiegogo campaign to keep raising funds, you know, which is a tragedy to hear that Don Cheadle, a guy who we've seen for years and been, has been nominated, still has to go through a Kickstarter to get funding for a movie. You know, in the light of right. what happened, you know, in the light of last year, and, you know, uh, J.B. Fox did Ray, but you would think Cheetah's a lot more credible. And I'm not saying anything different about J.B. Fox, but, you know, Cheetah brings credibility. Put it like that. Uh, you know, he's been in international films. Iron Man 3 made a billion dollars. So he's got some visibility. I just don't think why is it taking so long for anybody to, you know, be convinced that this is a project they should be investing in. You know, Miles Davis well, is well-known. The music is there. I don't know. Well, I'm, you know, I'm but just going to tell you, man, I mean, but, but, you, but Wilson, you realize, man, a lot of times with these biopics, man, it's about, you know, as you said, it's, it's the star, it's the subject. Um, you would think, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, you would think that if a Nina Simone biopic could be greenlit, that a Miles Davis biopic would be greenlit. I mean, you would think. Yeah. Well, even, you know, think about it. The Nina Simone biopic, you know, came, came with controversy, but yet they had the funding. You know, they shot it. It's been shot. Uh, supposedly it was screened for buyers it can. There's been no word yet, you know. But nevertheless, you know, it was, you know, they got the funding to make it. You know, and, and Don Cheeto here, he's got, obviously, Emiliatico Naldi. He's got Keith Stanfield from Short Term 12. He's got Hugh McGregor. So he's got, you know, talent in his film. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen, but hopefully, hopefully he completes it. Hopefully we'll get to see 
more than just one image we're hearing about. It's complete. Somebody picks it up. It's going to go somewhere. Festivals, theaters, you know, hopefully we'll just get to see it. Now, we got about four minutes left, Wilson, before we get out of here, man. And we keep talking about biopics. If we look around Hollywood, and you can clearly see right now that the one thing that Hollywood seems to be greenlighting with, with rapid kind of like consistency are biopics. And now you're talking about Andre 3000 playing Jimi Hendrix. Now, for all of the, the, the stuff that people have given Zoe Saldana, and I am a part of that as well, I would readily admit that I didn't like that casting at all. I am 180 degrees in the opposite direction and think that they got it exactly right. Um, and watching the trailer, I, I, I'm even more, I feel more so uh, that they got it right. What are, what are your initial impressions? Do you agree with me or do you think that, you know, there's still a chance that this may not work that well for us? Here's, uh, here's the problem. For, well, the movie was shown at last year's Toronto Film Festival. And the one right. flaw, the major flaw you have with the, the, with the Jimi Hendrix film Jimmy Always by My Side, is that you don't, the film doesn't feature any music from Jimi Hendrix. There you go. Well, you know why. You know why, though. They couldn't get the rights to any of the music. That's the thing. It's like you can't do a film without the music. You know, if you're going to see it, if, if, there, if you're going to see a music on a musician, Nina Simone, Frank Sinatra, Jimi Hendrix, or anybody else, the one thing anybody's going to go in there to see this film is, they want to hear some of that music, especially that's what's bringing them, that audience to there, you know? So, like, there's no way. It's like making a Michael Jackson movie without any of the music, you know? Right. There's, there's no way you can have it. So, like, there have been other biopics on non-musicians that have done well, but when you talk about the key components of musicians' life is the music, for it not to be placed in the movie, you're already handicapped. Yeah, so that, that's pretty interesting. You would say that though. Um, that that is going to be pretty interesting. I don't know. I don't know what the story. Now, did you get an opportunity to see it last year? Yes, I have. Yes, I did. I okay, see. well, I, uh, I don't. I don't want to ask, man. But I'm just trying to figure out. It, it it depends. That I think you might be able to get away with it if you can present an angle to it that kind of tells the story building up to a certain project. And it seems like, from what I'm reading, that's what um, John Ridley tried to do with this. Tough call. You know, it's a tough call when you're, when you're asked to do a movie and, you know, you're directing it. And it's his first featured movie, um, obviously, since he, you know, he, he's already completed. He, he shot it in the midst of doing 12 Years a Slave, which he won the Oscar for. Right. But, you know, but when somebody says, which... If anyone to ask which of his music is going to be placed in the movie to say none, I don't know how much you can, you can do to sell this movie. You know, obviously, Audrey 3000 is the perfect casting for it, but it's still a tough call when there's no music placed. Yeah, well, I, I, I would agree with you, man. Um, I, I was trying to think as you were talking. I was thinking about Walk, you know, Walk the Line, the uh, Johnny Cash biopic, of course, Ray, and other biopics about musical figures. And, and I would assume that you've got to have a certain amount of the music or at least give them something from the film in order to sell it and make it work. So, look at, hmm, yeah, look at, yeah you, you think about Jersey Boys just recently. You know, it's like you can't do the Jersey Boys without hearing any of Frankie Valley's music. Right. I would agree with you. All right, Wilson. 
I want to thank you for coming by, man, because you do what you do, and you do it very well. Man, for people out there who – the folks who, who listen to you every week, they know where they can find you, but we, I ask you to do this every week, man. Tell people where they can read your content and where they can follow you on social media, man. You can find me on blackfilm.com, which is the same words you use for Facebook as well as Twitter. All right, so, brother, um, you have a busy weekend coming up, I'm assuming. Uh, as always, we'll talk because we're getting ready for Comic-Con. I definitely want to try to get you and Travis on, man, to talk about that before you guys hit it. Um, But I look forward to talking to you soon, Wilson. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, man, you take care. Take care. All right, and, of course, that is my man, Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com. He joins us five minutes after the hour every week and gives us the rundown on entertainment news. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side, and it's going to be time to talk television. My girl Jen Chaney is going to be in the hot seat. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. We'll be right back. Contributes her, her, her award winning prose. 
Now, if she tells me she hasn't won an award, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Day to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm putting it out in the ether, in the atmosphere, that at some point it will happen. Jen Cheney, welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Thank you for having me. I have won awards, though, not recently. So, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate thing. you putting it out in the ether. That's, that's a good thing. It's what we do. So, Jen, <laughs> here we are. Um, the Emmy Award nominations, uh, there, there have been some tremendous performances and tremendous television shows. Uh, I, I, you know, people talk about the golden age of TV. Right now, I think we're living in a, in a golden age of TV. I wouldn't call this the golden age, but there are a lot of good shows that are out there. What are you expecting to be the shows or performances, briefly, that you think that will be making a lot of noise this year at the Emmy, at the Emmy Awards? Well, I mean, first of all, to comment on what you said about the golden age of TV, I mean, I think – um, we've been in a, a second or third or however, however you want to count your golden ages, uh, you know, since the last decade, and it's just blossomed, uh, you know, because there are just more and more places to watch television and just more opportunities to see some really groundbreaking and daring programming. And uh, what that means is that, you know, you have a very crowded and interesting field when it comes time for the Emmy Awards. Um, you know, I think the shows that – uh, or, or one of the key things people are going to be talking about is uh, the situation with True Detective and Breaking Bad, um, you know, competing against each other uh, for best drama. I mean, I think, uh, you know, True Detective just generated so much buzz when it was on HBO earlier this year. But uh, I know, Tim, you're a Breaking Bad fan, if I'm not mistaken. And it seems like a while ago now because the end of that season aired, you know, last uh, last summer into last fall, but that put it into the qualifying for this this year's Emmys, and that was one of the more remarkable ending runs of a TV series uh, in recent memory, if, if not ever. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what ends up winning Best Drama this year. Well, unfortunately, um, I am not a Breaking Bad fan, but I You're am not. a huge true div- – no, I, again, I, I have this really – kind of really interesting quirk about television. I know we've talked about this, that if I don't watch a show from the beginning, I have to wait and go all the way back to the beginning to kind of catch up. I can't jump in midstream, but I did jump in at the very beginning of True Detective, and I just thought that McConaughey and Woody Harrelson were just magic on screen. Amazing show. I I don't know how the the Emmy Award voters are going to actually get this part right, because it's all about preference. I don't think 
I think for, for Breaking Bad, I think that there has a, there's a loyal following of people who love that show, equally for True Detective and some of the other fine programs that are going to be nominated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with you about um, McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I, I thought they both were, were excellent uh, in that show. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's it's going to be a really tough call, tough call for people to make. So now what else, Jen, do you see is that, that has a good opportunity to break through this year or a show that has been kind of a perennial Emmy nominee in the past? Um, well, I mean, I think what's really interesting is watching what's happening with, you know, with the Netflix shows like um, House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, you know. Um, House of Cards was nominated for Best Drama last year for the first time, um, and I liked the first season of that show reasonably well, um, but the second season I just really didn't like at all. I just felt like it took itself way too seriously, um, and uh, and so I... I I feel like other shows like Breaking Bad, like True Detective, sort of superseded that. But, you know, what's really interesting, I, I think, too, is to look at what's what's ultimately going to happen with the legacy of a show like Mad Men, which for a while there was like every year Mad Men wins Best Drama, Mad Men wins Best Drama again. Oh, look, it's Mad Men winning Best Drama again. It won like four years in a row. And then finally Homeland broke its streak. And like Breaking Bad, it has broken up its its final season into two parts. So for the Emmys this year, it was that first part that was in contention. But next year, I think, is really going to be the opportunity, uh, if they want to say anything uh, definitive about that series, to say it then. And, you know, the show has been rewarded, but some of the really great actors in that show have, have gone all series long so far without ever winning an Emmy. John Hamm has won nothing for playing Don Draper from the Emmys, nor has Elizabeth Moss, who has just been... I thought I think extraordinary as Peggy. Um, so I actually am really hoping that some of those actors get recognized, um, you know, if not this year, then next year, um, before that show comes to a close, because uh, they've just been really, really terrific. Now, my bet this year, and I'm looking for Peter Dinklage in uh, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. I, I know there's been some, some standout performances in this show, but I have consistently liked what he brought to this last season. Of, uh, of 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 one of my favorite shows on television. Do you agree, or do you think that uh, he'll just get lost in the shuffle? Well, I I completely agree that he his performance on that show is my favorite performance, my favorite character. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's going to be hard because again, you've got someone like Aaron Paul um, in in the final season for Breaking Bad, and and competition from all sorts of other corners in that category. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I think, I think his, the plot in this particular season of, of Game of Thrones um, with Peter Dinklage's character has, been, has given him some opportunity to play some incredibly emotional scenes, um, you know, more so, that I think, than Tyrion has, has played uh, before. So, uh, so yeah, it would, it would be nice to see him win. But he has won before, I should say that. Like, I think it was three years ago. Um, he did win the Emmy for Best Supporting Actor, so it's not like he's completely empty-handed. All right. Well, as we're talking about the Emmys and who's going to shine and get a statuette in a couple of months, uh, a, a show or a couple of shows that may be in contention next year, uh, one is a show that I, I love the first season, and, of course, that is none other than Masters of Sex on Showtime. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think about um, – and I forget the, the woman's name who stars opposite um, Mr. Sheen 
Lizzie um, Kaplan. Thank you. What, is, what did you think <laughs> about this show, season one? Oh, I, th- I, I, I thought it was really terrific, just very, very well done. Um, you know, I think it was one of these shows that – uh, because it was a period piece, at least initially, it was it was being compared to Mad Men in, in some way, just because it's around that same period and you have you know all the clothes and just that whole sensibility. Um, but it's obviously telling a very different story. And I think the interesting thing about um, Masters of Sex is that it's telling us the story of Masters and Johnson, which you know we all know that they end up together uh, at some point eventually. Uh, but even though you know that information, I think watching the way that relationship plays out, it's almost as if you don't. And that's uh, a testament to the performances by Michael Sheen and Lizzie Kaplan and also a testament to the writing and just the way that they've been able to take that uh, very unconventional, to say the least, professional relationship between the two of them and you know, consistently have an element of mystery and where is it going and how is it going to affect um, you know, Michael Sheen's character's marriage and, and all those things. And I think... Uh, I haven't seen the first episodes from the upcoming season that starts on Sunday, but I've read some reviews, and um, it sounds like it's it's going to be an even more compelling uh, look at how that relationship continues to evolve. So I, I'm really looking forward to the season, second season of that show, too. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, HBO's latest offering, The Leftovers. I know you've seen, and I think you and I talked about this, you've seen like three or four episodes of this. Um, That's right. I... I, I Right, I didn't have an issue with with the pilot, but the second episode, I have I have yet to get through it. It's just so slow, and I understand it's by design. Um, mm-hmm. If I get through this, Jen, is there you know is there like a pot of gold on the other side of this? Is it, is this <laughs> going to be really compelling television at some point? Well, you know, like I as I, as you said, I've seen four episodes. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to promise you gold or, or, or riches necessarily. Um, but I will say that the third episode was the one that really kind of hooked me in. And you have to – it's a little bit slow in the beginning, but what's different about that episode is it, it focuses primarily on just one character. And it's a real character study of um, the, the pastor character who's been sort of running around uh, doing a weird version of evangelism saying that, you know, uh, some of these people who were who were – called up for the pseudo-rapture are not necessarily as wonderful as people are making them seem. Um, and it's a really, really interesting episode. You know, I think the trouble with The Leftovers potentially is that not only is it a little bit slow-paced, but it's also a really bleak, um, at least so far, show tonally. Um, Damon Lindelof, who co-created it, said um, if you took Lost and Friday Night Lights, and they had a baby, and the baby was severely, severely neglected, it would be the leftovers. <laughs> and I think what he meant by that <laughs> is that, <laughs> you know, Lost has, was about dealing with um, the aftermath of a strange occurrence with some sort of spiritual, potentially spiritual connections to it. And Friday Night Lights was about small-town life, which this show is too. But both of, that shows, both of those shows had a current of optimism in them, and at least so far the leftovers has none of that. Um, but I still think it's a really interesting premise. And the, the third episode, and I actually, it was weird. They sent episodes one, two, three, and five. So I've seen episodes three and five were the ones that really kind of, and watching them, I think, in succession, too, really helped me sort of get sucked into the narrative. Um, so I would say stick with it, Tim, because, you know, if after episode four or five you still can't deal with it, then, you know, we'll, we'll talk again. But, but I think it's worth sticking with it for a few more episodes. 
Well, I, I trust your your judgment, and I love the, how you cover and what you write about television. But I'm getting ready to get out of here, Jay, because I want to definitely invite you back. We probably need to have you on at least once a month throughout the television season so we can continue to talk about shows that are hot and plot lines so you can help correct me when I'm, like, off the rails, like, Jen, this is not happening. <laughs> I'm happy <laughs> but to. Tell, but tell people, Jen, where they can read your content and follow you on social media. Uh, well, for one thing, uh, since we were just talking about The Leftovers, I, I wrote a review of The Leftovers, which you can read on Esquire's website, which is Esquire.com. Uh, and just in terms of keeping up with me and my work, the best way to do that is by following me on Twitter. Uh, and you can follow me at Cheney J. And if I can briefly plug something, I'm working on a book at the moment. So uh, the next time, you know, in the few months that, that are coming up, I'll probably be talking about the book that will come out next year. But I still have to keep Not a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, we'll definitely have you back on long before that book comes out. All right, cool. All right, Jen, thank you for your time. Thanks, Tim. All right, not a problem. And, of course, that is none other than my award-winning friend and critic and entertainment contributor, Jen Chaney. Um, as she said, please check out Masters of Sex, which uh, opens its second season this Sunday night, as well as HBO's The Leftovers. Um, I'm still not totally on board, but i still got some time. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side. And I'm going to welcome a man who I have talked to offline a lot. We've never talked online. Charles Murray will be here with me on Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. You guys keep it where you got it. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wendell Pierce, and you're listening to The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. I wake up in the morning and I stretch my limbs. I sing a couple hymns and fetch my temp. Sip some herbs, these strictly rules on them. I take some fresh fruit and squeeze the juice from them. I don't drink milk that produces phlegm. I don't care if it's low fat or even skim. And this is the way we stay fit on trim. So you don't ever have be diet or hit the gym. I don't eat spam or green eggs and ham. I like the whole wheat toast with the strawberry jam. That's the type of man that I am. I eat the food that grows up from the land. The rice, the beans, the wheat, the corn, and the yam. So I don't need approval from Uncle Sam. Cause what God made, no man could brand. But there's still a few things that you don't understand. I don't drink soda, no Coca-Cola. When my feeling fell out, I broke a molar. I shine like solar, chill like the polar. Cash kick the old school rap like Dola. Might check the insight of this Mike Cola. Still be an MC if I can live my life over. Rock on, on, on. Yo, 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 yo. So give me the wheat, the old wheat, and nothing but the wheat. Come make me see the people out to eat. Give me the brown rice and the ground spice. The brown sugar and the steam yolk. sounds nice. Yes, of course, that is none other than Akbar talking about that good food. And welcome back to the show. It is, um, I don't know what time it is right now, but online with me is a man, as I said, who uh, I, I had an opportunity to meet. Uh, I, I saw his debut film, uh, which is called Things Never Said, at, at Urban World last year. We struck up a friendship, 
and we spend a lot of time on social media over one subject, and he will co-sign <laughs> on this, that we both have an amazing love and affinity for, for prima ballerina, Missy Copeland. Charles has threatened me online, told me to stay off his girl. It is Charles Murray. Brother Murray, what's happening? <laughs> what is happening? Listen, I'll let it be known. I got I got the big crush on old girl, so you know I got to fight for my territory. But I'm I'm safe for you because I'm all the way in L.A. Nah, man, I ain't safe. I got threatened one time. I was like, Hey, hey Charles, these are jokes, man. <laughs> <laughs> but so so here we go, man. Watch this. Here we go, Charles. Um, yeah. As I told the people, man, things never said. I was doing some research, which is really funny about the film today, and I had never read this before, and I wanted to ask you, people were calling this the 21st century love, Jones, and I thought about it and went, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I thought that both Shanola Hampton and Omari Hardwick had amazing chemistry together, and, and you wrote the screenplay, am I correct? Right. Yes. So the, some of the poetry that you put in there, I thought some of that stuff was really, really Really good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, was you know, I'm, I'm probably going to offend some people when I say this, but you know, it's like when you're an African American writer and you write a genre that's rarely written about, people look for the thing to compare it to. So, right, you know, black. Black folks in love, usage of poetry, Love Jones, <laughs> you know, and and I love Love Jones, and I'm not taking anything away from Ted's masterful debut, um, but you know, I think where Love Jones and 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 Things Never Said go down separate roads is the poetry. In 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 things was a part of this woman's journey to discovering herself. Like she had to go through it. I think if you do Love Jones uh, uh, in in a certain way, I don't know if you necessarily have to lean on the poetry as much as as my film did. I feel you, man. And, and, and uh, see, I never put those two together, man. But I understand exactly in the business you're in, Charles, why that happens. Is because people have to pitch these projects, and people don't have like a small, a small, limited amount of, of time. So it's like, okay, right. what do you got? Well, right. <laughs> it's this and you that. Know, I, I wrote a, I wrote a script that I sold to Screen Gems that uh, Chris Brown was supposed to start in called Phenom. And it was right. about, you know, I, was, I was watching ESPN one day, and they were interviewing Kobe Bryant, and they were saying, you know, a lot of people compare you to Michael Jordan. And they were showing these visuals where, you know, they were showing Kobe's moves, they were showing Mike's moves. And I, you know, and I was sitting there watching it, and I thought, man, what if I made a movie about Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant-like character, who came out of high school and he was great and he was awesome and he was everything that he was in real life. And the secret was that he was Michael Jordan's illegitimate kid. 
You know, I wrote this movie, and it's a... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Not this kid who's never had a relationship with his father. His father's the greatest player in the NBA, and he's about to retire. And so the kid jumps out of high school to play in the pros, and it's about them mending their relationship against the backdrop of the NBA. They yeah, I'm checking. Look, look, I'm, I'm checking. Damn. Not bad, you know, but I like that. They, but, and this, this is the, the love Jones of it all. Every time people in the business would talk about the script, they would say, oh, it's a high-budget, he got game. Damn. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and so I think the thing is, you know, especially – you know, in this in this, uh, this in this world of African American films, you know, we have a, we, the the people who want to do the the five second description, you know, they don't they don't want to encapsulate the film with a, a proper log line, like you said. They just want to go, oh, it reminds me of this. So, well, you know, I think that that was the thing. But you know, having said that, Love Jones ain't a bad film to be compared to. No, no, not at all. And your film's not a bad film either, man. I just wish it got, uh, or it, 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 you know, more people had an opportunity to see it, man. I think it played well, at least when I was at Urban World. Folks were into it, man. And uh, from what I've heard, people have been into it for a minute. But, you know, in a landscape, and I know you're not going to want to hear me say this, but it's true. In a landscape where there's seven to 900 movies being released, theatrically, Redbox, Netflix, video on demand, I mean, that any film is able to break through at all is a surprise to me. Um, But the ones that don't break through don't necessarily mean that they're not good films. For some reason, the audience has not found those films, and we hope that does not dissuade you, Charles, from continuing down that road and making more films. No, because I look at my career as a filmmaker uh, akin to a novel. You know, one of my favorite novels is uh, uh, The Great Gatsby. And what people don't know about The Great Gatsby, you know, now they think I was as a Leonardo DiCaprio movie, and before that, the Robert Redford film. But when Fitzgerald died, all of his works were out of print, you know. And he, he literally died in an apartment over on Melrose and Fairfax, the cirrhosis of the liver, I believe. But uh-huh. your work is supposed to out, outlast you. You know, I'm not I'm not thinking of immediate gains when I think about my film as a filmmaker. I want my grandkids to be able to be somewhere and have somebody say, hey, I just saw this movie, Things Never Said, or whatever other movie I make after that, and have them say, oh, that's my granddad. You know, so I don't I've – never, I've never looked at my career in, in terms of – I need to be successful, and, and people need to discover my work now. I still get tweets 
about the film. You know, people who will say, this was a really good film, how come it never came out in the theaters? I don't care if they don't have an answer as to why it didn't come out in the theaters, but they're still discovering the film. You know, our Facebook page is still growing in terms of likes. You know what I mean? And so um, it's it's never, you know, I'm weird in that way in that I can wait you out. You You know, and if someone comes up to me three years from now, and says the same thing that some of the people said at ABFF or at Pan-African, that they watched the film and it inspired them to be a better them. That's all that matters for me. All right. Well, talking about some inspiration, man, I looked through some of your, you know, because I kept going, man, this guy, when I first met you, I was like, man, this is an amazing debut. What? I wonder what this guy's been doing. And then I did some research and went, Oh, he's lived his entire life working on television. And then I looked through some of your TV credits, and some of those are shows I really like a lot. Castle, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge fan. You know, yeah. you are now working on Sons of Anarchy. Like, who yeah. would, I, I, as I look at you, how do, I, <laughs> how do we put the Charles Murray I know into Sons of Anarchy? Um, because Martin Luther King said one day, I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I you heard know, when that, I, man. When I was, you know, I was a Latin kid. You know, both of my parents worked. And, I mean, you know, worked all hours, you know, nonstop. So, you know, the chore for me, and it wasn't like they would come home at 6 o'clock or something like that. But it was like sometimes my parents wouldn't come home until midnight you know, 2 o'clock in the morning or the next morning. And so it was me and the television, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. I would sit down, you know, I'd come home, watch a 3.30 movie. The 3.30 movie may be Lawrence of Break. The 10 o'clock movie would be The Blob. The Sunday afternoon movie would be A Christmas Carol or Captain Courageous or The Old Man in the Sea. Uh, they used to have Gangster Night on WGN before it became a superstation. So I fell in love with James Cagney, loved James Cagney, you know, watched Humphrey Bogart, watched Edward G. Robinson. And so then it started to come into play where I realized, you know, I've always only wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always wanted to be a filmmaker since I was eight. And, I'm, and I just turned 49 the other day. And Damn. so I said to myself, well, I want to make a gangster movie. I want to make a movie like Lawrence of Arabia. I want to make a movie like, you know, uh, Frank Capra's, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. And so I would emulate those stories in my mind and not say, well, I'm constricted by the fact that there are no black folks making these kind of movies. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be the first, you know. And so uh, then when the 80s came, you know, and I was working at 7-Eleven when, when She's Got Have It came out, I thought was Spike Lee is a like-minded filmmaker. That film is about those lives, not necessarily the color, but the color is implicit in who they are. You know, and I'm a big, I love foreign films, and I love foreign films for their specificity because you find the universality through it. So when I couldn't make my mark in features, a friend of mine, uh, asked me if I wanted an assistance gig. You know, I was 30-something. You know, I didn't know how to get into the business. I had been an assistant at Disney 
uh, and then I was an assistant over at uh, Death Pictures for Russell Simmons when they made Gridlocked and How to Be a Player. And then my mom died, and I was like, okay, I need to rethink all of this. You know, do I go back home? Do I get my degree? Do I do, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go back home for a while, and I was still writing scripts, and a friend of mine read a script, and I came back out, and I got an assistant job on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then Buffy the Vampire Slayer led me to being an apprentice under the creator of NYPD Blue. And all I saw was storytellers, you know. And so I was like, the best thing I can do is, is take my life as an African-American and match it with what great storytellers do and not all the time be limited to only telling a certain story because I can tell a variety of stories with a variety of people, aliens, you know, uh, 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 subcultures, and I can tell what story is particular to that thing. And so I never limited myself on what kind of storytelling I was going to do, you know. And so that's why I was able to go to Castle, go to Criminal Minds, go to Third Watch, you know, right for the Star Wars cartoon, Clone Wars, right for the new Star Wars cartoon, Star Wars Rebels, and now right for this because as, as, a, as a documentarian, as a, as, a, as a word documentarian, it's your job to encapsulate the life that's in front of you, not necessarily be hindered by who you are. So that's why I feel like I've been able to jump from, you know, like uh, the one question that keeps coming back to me on Things Never Said is how could you write that, that female character? I was like, because she's an emotional human being, because everything's ruled by emotions, and I go to the emotions first, and then everything else becomes the clothes that I hang on, the emotions. You know, so that's why I feel like I'm able to jump around and do all of these, these various things. All right, Charles. I, I'm really upset now because, you know, I really want to listen to you some more. I need to bring <laughs> you back on, and we need to give you some more time because, you know, that was one question. I had tons more, but we run out of time. But before I'm we get out of here, man, <laughs> No, no, it's no problem. But before we get out of here, man, let people know, first of all, uh, when is, when is Sons, the Sons of Anarchy coming back to FX? When is, when is that going to debut? Uh, we come back in September, I think like September 9th, I believe. Uh, okay. And be on the lookout for Episode 8 because it will be my television directorial debut. Very nice, and we'll definitely have you back on before that. But tell people, Charles, where they can follow you on social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at uh, Chief Rocker 77 because Chief Rocker, Lords Underground, is one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> you, can, you can find me on Facebook, uh, you know, just by my name, Charles Murray. Look for, look for a picture of Sam Jackson and Django. <laughs> You know, <laughs> or they can follow this ongoing argument between me and you <laughs> on Facebook. Every time Misty, exactly. I put a Misty Copeland picture up, I'm getting I'm getting screamed at. <laughs> I know I always keep it lowercase, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, so brother, thank you for coming through, man. I gotta definitely get you back on, man. Uh, within the next couple of months, man. And I got to tell you, man, it's been a pleasure going from hearing you, you know, and listening to your podcast 
to like starting to get to know you. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Hey man, the feeling is mutual, Mr. Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right, Thank man. You. You, you take care All of yourself, right. man. I'll be back in touch with you pretty soon, man. All right, there. All right, take care, y'all. All right, and of course that is writer, director, producer Charles Murray. Uh, things never said, and also as he, as you just heard him say, he's working on the Sons of Anarchy. It's going to make his debut for its seventh and final season, uh, September the ninth, we think. Um, so you want to, and we'll definitely have him back before that. I'm going to take a break right now and come back and talk to another one of my favorite people, the lovely Susan Wazena, uh, who is now contributing to a bunch of different sites, but among them, RogerEver.com. You guys, keep it where you got it. You are listening to the big show. Keep it real with some Gordon, and we'll be right back. Let the drama kick, let the drama kick die. Let the drama kick, let the drama kick die. Let the drama kick, let the drama kick die. Let the drama kick, let the drama kick die. Thank you. 
right, there is one big movie this weekend that's opening, one, and it is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And this film tells the story of a growing nation of genetically evolved apes led by Caesar is threatened by a band of human survivors of the devastating unleashed a decade earlier. They reach a fragile peace, but it proves short-lived as both sides are brought to the brink of war that will determine who will emerge as Earth's dominant species. The film is directed by Matt Reed. It stars Gary Oldman, Carrie Russell, uh, in, in stop-motion uh, capture Andy Serkis, Cody Smith-McPhee, and before we talk about this film, let us listen to a clip from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And by virtue that there's not a lot of talking from our main <laughs> character, this clip will be short, I promise you. Apes! Do not want war! Do not come back. All right, that was that. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was the voice of Caesar uh, yeah. with this initial warning to the remaining citizens of Earth. Like, you know, basically, y'all got y'all spot, my spot's over here, y'all stay over here, and as long as you do that, we won't come over here and just smoke you out. So, well, that doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> no, it does not. But let me start first, Susan. Um, I... Not the, the the reboot that had James Franco and, and you know and, and right, the, right. the raising of young Caesar. I thought it was okay. I wasn't like a huge fan of the first one, but I thought it was a wonderful way to kind of update uh, audiences who may not have been aware of the whole Charlton Heston, you know, early '70s Planet of the Apes and Return to Planet of the Apes. They, 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 they made so many of these movies that it to me got really silly when it was like. The, the back alley of the prequel to the, the one of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I got tired of watching Planet of the Apes movies. But this one, I will say, captured me really early on uh, for several reasons. A, I loved uh, what, what the screenwriter did. And I need to find out what the screenwriter's name is. Cause I'm gonna well, there are three him a lot. screenwriters. I have them right up here. It's a husband and wife well, team. Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, and then a guy called Mark Bombach. So there's three okay. of them. But this Rick so Jaffa and Amanda Silver came up with how the characters are now. So they right. seem to so be the I, main people. Right. So I was going to say, what I liked about it was that I thought initially that the, the, the story being told through the perspective of the apes, and this may have happened before, but maybe they just executed it a lot better, I thought, this time around, to set up, the sub, uh, set up their culture of how Caesar is kind of like the alpha ape and, you know, how everything kind of evolves around whatever Caesar is doing. Um, that nobody moves until Caesar tells them to move. You know, there's this hierarchy that, you know, in order to, to, to be the leader, you've got to be greater than Caesar. But in addition to that, what I loved was the humanity that the screenwriters gave him and the thoughtful intelligence that he has that he's able to look, assess a situation, and, and make sound decisions because 
he understood, A, that it was about them staying united and together, which is why they had the rule that they had early in the film that apes don't kill apes. Um, they also had the rule that it was about peace. And even when, out, when factions inside of his inner circle were pushing him to act in ways that were violent, I love the logic of the story of how it was, okay, this is what we need to do. Let them do what they need to do. Ultimately, we all need to share this planet and live together. So I thought that that part was great about the story. Of course, much like we talked about Transformers and some of these other films, where it's all about the special effects, the humans here are minimized. And the only one who I really think gets a chance to really shine is uh, Jason Clark, who I loved a lot in, um, oh, God. Zero what was Dark it? Thank you. Zero Dark I'm 50. I'm 50. I just I forget this stuff. <laughs> so, yes, him, him opposite Jessica, Jessica Chastain is Zero Dark And 30. he was also doing uh, Great Gatsby. He was in something called Lawless. He's a rising star. He is and I think he, he did think... hold his, his own against uh, the, the apes. But I will say this is all about the apes. I mean, oh, their yeah. acting is so superior. There's so much, as you would say, evolved beyond the humans that you're actually, by the end, rooting for them. And you really, I mean, as, as good as Jason Clark is and everybody else who's human in this are good, the fact that the CGI is just so amazing in this that you just don't even question that these ape creatures are actually real is amazing. And that's what keeps you kind of, you know, really, you know, riveted to the screen because this is really, really beyond what we saw with Gollum or King Kong, what Peter Jackson's right. weather digital has done. It's amazing. And I think the, you know, like, Andy Serkis is great as Caesar, but, you know, there's also a couple other ape characters like this Koba, who's the bad guy. I mean, he's amazing. There's a point where he's got two guns in his hand. He's on a horse. He's like John Wayne in True Grit, and it's, like, amazing. <laughs> and I love that. And And so I would say that unlike many films where I think you just kind of get – you know, so dulled down by all the CG and all the digital stuff and the 3D. You know, and this, it's it's the show. And uh, I, But it's also acting in a way that you haven't seen it before, and you care. I mean, the eyes of these apes just kind of grab you. You, you believe in them more than the human. So, you know, well, the script was okay. You kind of knew where it was going to go, like when Carrie oh, Russell, every step of the character, way. you know, Carrie Russell, you know, you, she's like a medical person, right? So when you see an right. ape that's sickly, you know she's going to cure him and, and, like, impress him and all that crap. But that's fine. But, I mean, the, the ending, I mean, the war between them that erupts is, like, amazing. And the thing is, it makes sense that the apes can do things like climb up towers or swing on chains. It makes sense that they're doing that, unlike in Transformers where you're going, what the hell? Why are they doing this? You know? So, no, I for agree. me, this is a superior brand of what is a summer blockbuster now. Is it great? I wouldn't put it in that category, but it, it is 
in a way a little more intelligent and, and not so loud and obnoxious as some of the films are. Now, the, the one thing that I thought was funny, and I was, you know, you and I talked during break, that I thought was funny. Did you ever see the 1979 Walter Hill film, The, the Warriors? Yes. Okay. You do know that they had a scene in this movie that was, I, I don't know whether he would tell, that the writers would tell you they were paying homage, or did they just basically steal it? But it's like the thing that was funny when I watched it, the character's name in The Warriors was Caesar. So the exact situation that happened in The Warriors, they have a scene that happens exactly the same way in Dawn of the Planet of Apes, and it just made me laugh out loud. I was like, wow. <laughs> okay, so really? that's a meta moment for you. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> I don't have the Warriors imprinted okay. in my brain. So. Well, in The Warriors, there's a scene where the, the, the Caesar has gathered all the gangs together, and he's giving okay. them this speech, and he ends it with, can you dig it? And you know what happens after can you dig it. That's exactly okay. the, the moment that was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But, again, I'm not giving the film away. I, I okay. agree with you. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a great film, but I think by virtue that Tammy was just released last week, that this right. is a much stronger effort this weekend than we had last weekend. <laughs> Well, it still, though, feels like a placeholder for another sequel. It, they stretched oh. out stuff, I think, far too long just to fill it up. But I think, you know, not enough happens in this that kept me truly, you know, engaged as much as I wanted to be. And that's because I felt like a sequel that is expecting another sequel. However, you know... It's still a lot more intelligent and a lot more artful, I would say, than a lot of the films that, you know, tend to be for the mainstream or whatever during the summer months. So, you know, I I just was amazed by what they can do now to bring these characters to life because if you look at the original Plan of the Apes, it's like a costume party, you know? And then even <laughs> I, I like Tim Burton's, Apes. I didn't like the acting. I thought Mark Wahlberg is probably his weakest performance ever. But the apes were cool in that, too. But in this, they feel like real animals, and that's something different. And it, it just makes it a different experience. Well, you know, I think, I think the thing, though, that, that's really interesting about this, and I, was, I made a joke about it earlier, Susan, was that we, you know from doing your research that the summer box office is down this year. And yeah. I was the one sounding the alarm when we were in early June. I was like, you know, I don't really – these summer movies are not really impressing me. And we would sit around at screening before movies would, would screen. And I would say this, and people would look at me and go, hey, this, this is coming, that's coming. You know, you, had, you got off to a good start, Susan, in May with films like Chef. Uh, the mm-hmm. X-Men Days of Future Past. Um, I'm trying to remember. There were, like, several other films, um, How to Train Your Dragon 2. I mean, there were some right. really strong films in May. What do you attribute, Susan, uh, that, that the box office – I mean, because the audience usually is, is, is fooled by this. I mean, we, we predict and sit around and talk about how bad these movies are all the time, 
and then they'll, they'll, a movie will open at $100 million or $125 million. But what would you attribute it to this summer that, for whatever reason, you know, these films are not pulling people into the box office like they have in the past? I just think, you know, they don't make them to, to be, you know, original or even necessarily entertaining. They're built for, to make money, and if you do that, you're not trying to do it for the audience. You're trying to do it for, you know, keep your, you know, stock rating high. Or well, I don't know, you know. I mean, it just seems that it's so much commerce now and not enough art, at least for the mainstream movies. And there's nothing really, I mean, Edge of Tomorrow I thought was good, but, you know, people didn't go for whatever reason. And maybe it was the marketing or whatever, but that was actually, a, you know, something different. But, you know, just to make another Captain America or just to make, you know, another X-Men, you know, I, I don't think that's enough anymore because people are distracted by other things, you know, in their lives. I don't think movies can get away with being, you know, just the same thing over again. And, uh, you know, something like Snowpiercer, for example, people are going to that that you wouldn't, I I wouldn't expect in my life. You know, they're asking about it and they're they're aware of it because it's a genre film that with a twist, it's a little bit different and they're looking for something like that occasionally. There really hasn't been that much like that. Look, I I would agree with you. And as I look at the calendar coming up, um, I see some biopics. I see some smaller movies. I still don't see uh, another film that's going to really be a dominant film. I think this Transformers made a lot of money, but I think X-Men, Days of Future Past, for me, from a big action film, I think that's still the best one I've seen this summer. But see, I didn't even like it that much. I mean, it was fine, you know, but... It it's just comic book movies. It's the same story over and over again to me. I mean, that has good actors in it, but it just you know, except for that Quicksilver guy, what was different? What was new? What didn't you see before? Nothing. You know, at this point, it, it's it's sort of like just the same thing over and over again. And I think you know they're paying a price for that. I mean, not even the people what? who are so into those films are going to care about the fifth X-Men film or however many they've made. So I just, um, you know, for me, you know, I was disappointed by Jersey Boys because look I look for those films that aren't typical in the summer. And for me, it was fine. It wasn't as bad as I think some people thought. But as someone who loves musicals, it didn't quite always work. The music was good, but the story could have been told in a much better manner. So it, there's nothing there yet that has, you know, broken the mold or even taken the mold and lifted it up to a higher level. I think this film, The Planet of the Apes, is fine. I just, you know, for me, it's a remake of a remake of a remake. And even though the CGI is amazing and that elevates it, it's still, to me, the same story again. You know, so how many times are they going to give us the same stuff again and again? How many times are they going to do Spider-Man? Who cares already? You know? We'll see. <laughs> see, both know. of you and I, you, you have done this longer than I have. I'm 20 years. You're, you've done this longer than me. This is, this is the crotchetiness. That's the word I want to use. The crotchetiness of both of us 
because both of us understand what this industry used to be, and we both grew up loving movies, only to see carbon copies being made in studios, as you said earlier, value, valuing commerce over art these days. And it, it, it's, a, it's not a happy place to be uh, in, in theater these days. It's really not. So. Now, there's one, a few hopes out there, like Boyhood. It's a Richard Slinklayer oh, film that is, I don't think you've probably seen yet either, but to me that sounds like something that's right up my alley. And it's, you know, he followed the same actors for 12 years. And that's amazing. And to to pull it off and it's gotten good reviews, that's something I look forward to. So I hope that does well. That, that even has Oscar potential about it. So, you know, now, now, there now, are Susan. a couple things, but not enough this summer to get trying to go to movies <laughs> with enthusiasm. <laughs> right. I was going to say, Susan, you realize I saw Boyhood in January when it was at Sunday. <laughs> All right, so it's that's a right. great movie. It's but a for great us, this is something to look forward to. <laughs> well, no, right? you're right, and it is, and I think it's an experience. Uh, all I can tell you is get you some sleep because in two hours and forty five minutes, it's a long experience. That's fine if it's good. I don't care if it's long. If it's Transformers, I want to, you know, kind of just <laughs> run out of theater screening. <laughs> you know, well, long Susan, isn't bad if it's a good movie. No, I'm not, and you're absolutely right. Um, but but Transformers at 2:45 is a very different experience from watching Boyhood at 2:45. There you go. But Susan, but Susan, before we get out of here, tell people a where they can read your content and b where they can follow you or how they can follow you. Well, I'm on Twitter at, at Wazarina. That's W O Z E R I N A. Um, I'm at RogerEbert.com. I do reviews and other things there. I'm at uh, IndieWire. I, I'm doing a career watch column. And also I'm, I'm going to do my Oscar column again for the fall and the Oscar season. And I'm also running for AARP, so I have a wide swath there of <laughs> readership. <laughs> I have a, a wide swath of, of outlets that my right. opinions can be read. Right. All right. Well, Susan, I tell you what, I want to thank you for coming by and uh, talking apes with me tonight. Um, yes. it, it appears that both of us are kind of in the same boat, that it's good, not great. Um, we like, the, 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 I guess, what they did with the apes, not so much with the humans. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I'm assuming that we – because after I've given Susan the business tonight, I'm assuming that I need to save a seat for you at our next screening so that we can do our customary watch a movie together. I think so, if that's what you want. But, you know, you you kind of pop up when you want to. <laughs> I can't Stop count it. on don't, you all the time. Don't tell don't but tell I love secrets. to sit next Stop to it. you, especially, especially during things like bridesmaids when you're groaning. <laughs> <laughs> That's always I hate fun. You, I hate you. Yeah. Or neighbors. Or, or, neighbors, or blended. Yeah. Or, yeah, that was another one. All yeah. right, Susan. Um, I want to thank you. Before we get out of here, as I tell our audience in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. 
by virtue that there's only one movie opening this week, the decision will be very easy for you. It will either be uh, the dawn of the planet of the apes, or you're going to go back and see something else. I would recommend Chef. What would you recommend, Susan? I like Chef, too. Uh, you know, otherwise, I, I don't know what to recommend. <laughs> I mean, if you like the music of the Four Seasons, and you, you can put up with a little bit of, you know, not so great stuff, you know, otherwise, then, you know, go see that before it quickly leaves theater. So, but otherwise, yeah, yeah it, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of recommendations right now. Oh my God. I'm hating Susan right now. Susan's not, you, you're the new Cindy Fuchs of movies. She's not liking anything these days. Well, I, what can I say? I, this is not my season. It, I'm waiting for September. So that's All what right. I live for. Fair enough, which means that I need to invite you back to review movies way before September comes so I can hear, oh, my God, I hated that movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Young lady, you take care of that wonderful There's no Meryl Streep this summer. That's the problem with me, you know. Oh, God, no here we go. <laughs> <laughs> take care, guys. We'll see okay, you guys you next too. time. And Susan, I'll see you next week. Okay. Have a nice week. Bye-bye. Bye.